We're all familiar with the data science tools like NumPy, Pandas, and others. These are numerical tools that work with floating point numbers, often to represent real-world systems. But what if you could exactly specify the equations symbolically, like many of us did back in calculus or differential equations courses? With SymPy, you can do exactly that. Create equations, integrate, differentiate, and solve them. Then you can convert those solutions into Python or even C++ and Fortran code. We're here with two of the core maintainers, Andre Sertik and Aaron Moyer, to learn about SymPy. This is Talk Python to Me, episode 364, recorded May 6th, 2022. Welcome to Talk Python to Me, a weekly podcast on Python. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Follow me on Twitter where I'm at mkennedy and keep up with the show and listen to past episodes at talkpython.fm and follow the show on Twitter via at talkpython. We've started streaming most of our episodes live on YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube channel over at talkpython.fm slash YouTube to get notified about upcoming shows and be part of that episode. This episode is sponsored by Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub. Check them out at talkpython.fm slash Founders Hub to get early support for your startup. And it's brought to you by Sentry. Don't let those errors go unnoticed. Use Sentry. Get started at talkpython.fm slash Sentry. Transcripts for this and all of our episodes are brought to you by Assembly AI. Do you need a great automatic speech-to-text API? Get human-level accuracy in just a few lines of code. Visit talkpython.fm slash Assembly AI. Andre and Aaron, welcome to Talk Python to me. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's fantastic to have you both here. You know, what a cool topic, symbolic math with Python. I think I'd heard of SymPy before, but I didn't fully appreciate, you know, how neat and how advanced it really was. So people are going to enjoy diving into this and we can talk some internals and, and whatnot. And if you're doing anything scientific or computational, this is certainly a, a project worth checking out. But before we get to that, let's just hear your story. How'd you get into programming in Python? Aaron, you want to go first? I've always kind of been into computers you know, ever since I was a little kid. I actually started messing around with, with, with programming and in, uh, in AppleScript in, in my uh, uh, family's Macintosh back when I was like really little kid. Nice. Um, but didn't really do any serious programming till uh, college when I uh, started doing... Um, taking like computer science courses. And actually for Python, um, my college had a, a free course that they were offering um, to uh, teach this little language called Python. So I, you know, the, uh, the CS course that I was taking was, was in like Java and C and those languages were, wasn't a huge fan of, of those languages, but I learned about this language called Python and uh, yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah, I, I was immediately hooked with uh, with Python just because it's you know it's so easy to to use. It's so easy to 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 just write a program, and you don't have to worry about compilers or or all this this boilerplate. Um, and then yeah, I'd always been a little suspicious of languages that described themselves that way, which is ironic given how much I do with Python. But still, often when you hear that, it's like, oh, it doesn't need all the symbols and it's super easy to get started. That means like, oh, it's really easy to do easy stuff, but then you can't do interesting things. And I think one of the things that's special about Python is like, you can keep going. <laughs> you know, you don't have to stop once you need advanced ideas. 
that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it really is. Uh, it, you're right. A lot of languages they kind of stop, but Python, uh, I mean, it's it's got a lot of advanced stuff as well, and it's got a huge ecosystem of libraries you can do just pretty much anything you want in it. Yeah, for sure. The big paradox for me is there's a, a joke t-shirt that I've seen that says, I learned Python. It was a great weekend, which I think is kind of true. You can do that. But at the same time, for many, many years now, I've been studying Python and there's still just so much more to learn. <laughs> you know, One about the language and also just like, as you said, all the different libraries like, oh, I want to learn Pydantic now or this other thing or so on. Uh, very cool. All right. How about now? What are you working on day to day? Yeah, so uh, I work at a company called Quansight. Um, we do um, consulting mostly around uh, open source, uh, open source Python, open source data science stack. Um, I work about 50% uh, of my time on SimPy uh, as part of a, uh, a grant, which we might talk about later, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and I also work on uh, different uh, consulting projects. Um, actually, right now I'm, I'm part of a, uh, a project uh, um, called the uh, um, Data APIs Consortium, which uh, is uh, um, trying to standardize the uh, array API libraries for uh, different um, different Python array libraries, the APIs for those. So, uh, like, like NumPy and XArray and those types of things? NumPy, PyTorch, um, JAX, CuPy. So the idea is that all these libraries have a very slightly different APIs, and, and it makes it hard to write code against that that goes that just works against all of them. So what we're what we're doing is creating a standard API that um, all of these libraries will target, and so you can write code that will just you, will work with NumPy, but you can also just uh, instead of importing NumPy, you can import CuPy, and that same code will run on the GPU, for example. Oh, that's fantastic! Yeah, that's a really uh, good ambitious goal. <laughs> it's it sounds so easy. I'm sure it's pretty challenging. Yeah, well, I think we're we're being successful. We just released the first version of the uh, specification, so uh, and we've got several libraries that are uh, implementing it already, including NumPy, awesome. CuPy, several others. So it's uh, it's actually it's I think it's being a successful project and uh, should really help push the uh, Python uh, data science ecosystem forward. Quite yeah, a bit. it sounds like it definitely a good step. Andre, how about you? How'd you get into programming in Python? You know, I probably at high school, I was trying to figure out when I got into it. I think at high school, I don't know, I don't remember how um, I uh, how I found it, but uh, it was early 2000s, I'm guessing. It was before NumPy, was, I think that was NumPy, I think, it was uh, the array library in Python. And mm -hmm. during my undergrad, I was uh, studying physics. Um, I wanted to play with uh, mathematical formulas in, in Python, so that's when I started SimPy. And then I used Python, you know, pretty much probably close to 20 years now or over 20 years. Um, and I cannot say I'm an expert, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it wasn't a good weekend. <laughs> I don't know. A lot of the stuff I'm not that uh, great at, you know, but, uh, the basics I would say I know pretty, yeah. pretty well. Yeah, sure. I, um, after my PhD in physics, I went to work at Los Alamos national lab for about eight years, a computational physicist. Uh, I use Python. I use a lot of Fortran, a lot of uh, computational codes and a lot of C++. That sounds fun. There's a lot of Python stuff happening there at Los Alamos. Yeah, it is. Um, the network X, I think, uh, library will start here. Um, and then, um, and then very recently, half a year ago, I, I changed uh, jobs. Um, 
and I now work at a company called GSI Technology, which is a hardware vendor um, as a compiler developer. And uh, so at Los Alamos, I started this um, compiler for, for Fortran called L Fortran. It's an it's a compiler for Fortran, but it also allows you to use it interactively, just like you would Python. It runs in a Jupyter notebook as well as a kernel. Um, and um, and at this new company, we are also in addition to L Fortran. Um, creating a new front-end called LPython, which takes Python, but compiles it through the same pipelines, through the same um, intermediate representation and all the backends. All the code is the same. So effectively, it reads Python like Fortran. Um, so the same speed um, and, so, and so forth. Oh, wow. That sounds awesome. It is awesome, yes. <laughs> <laughs> very, very cool. All right. Well, super fun uh, to be talking about SymPy with you all today, symbolic math. I want to start this off, though, with a, a write-up from Aaron that is maybe not what people would expect as the first topic to introduce SymPy. SymPy has been in the news a little bit for the wrong reasons recently, right? <laughs> right, Aaron? So um, it was even on the front page of Hacker News because this company, HackerRank, reached out to GitHub, sounds like through automated ways, and said... We seem to see some math that looks like questions we might ask or something like that. So we need to completely ban Senpai because they're stealing our interview questions or something like that, right? Give us the story. What kind of madness was this? Yeah, so we uh, we sort of just got this notice from GitHub that a, a DMCA takedown had been issued against one of a, the pages on our, our documentation. And uh, the way... The DMCA works, uh, and the way GitHub's DMCA policy works is uh, when somebody issues a notice, they uh, they basically just have to take it down. Um, and uh, GitHub basically took down the entire documentation site for um, about 12 hours. Uh, and so I, I've got a timeline of, of everything that happened here um, in this blog post. Uh, but uh, basically, uh, yeah, that they uh, they have some. They had some company that they were working with to try to find their solutions uh, on GitHub and, and issued DMCA takedown notices against them. And, and somehow uh, this, this Worth IT solutions company decided that our docs was, was one of these and they just issued the notice. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it, it ended up taking down our documentation, which uh, immediately, like you said, it, it made it to the top of Hacker News and... Uh, um, kind because of it's too outrageous. Yeah, so it's <laughs> the the notice <laughs> itself is it it was completely uh, ridiculous. Like there, there's like the the stuff that they were claiming was um, their copyright is like probably not even copyrightable. Like if you look at the examples on on that documentation page that they took down, they're just like simple math examples. Yeah, it was like uh, x squared minus two solution is you know negative plus or minus radical two, right? Like that you shouldn't be able to copyright. I think that actually predates um, Hacker Rank's foundation. <laughs> I think predates Hacker Rank as a company. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the uh, the CEO of Hacker Rank, I guess, noticed the, uh, the buzz that was being made about it and <laughs> um, retracted the notice. So uh, the docs ended up going back online uh, about 12 hours later. If they hadn't done that, we, uh, we would have, had to issue a counter notice, which would have kept the docs offline for uh, about two weeks um, before that counter notice would have taken effect. 
And that's yeah. just because of the way the DMCA law works. Uh, I also explained that how the DMCA law works in this blog post. If, uh, if anyone's wondering like why, why would GitHub even do this? Like, well, they're, right. they're kind of required to, to do this kind of stuff by law. Uh, there are some ways I think they could have improved what they did here, uh, which I go over as well. But uh, this DMCA it's probably law worth is like, really- uh, Pointing those out, yeah. So, I mean, the, the DMCA provides what's called safe harbor for places that host user-generated content, basically. YouTube, yeah. the social media places. GitHub clearly has a ton of user-generated content that's public. If you got the source code of Windows or something and you posted it up there, right? Theoretically, Microsoft might say, you know, we don't really want you hosting this. It's not supposed to be open source. Please take it down, right? So that's that's the idea. The way it works, though, is basically once there's a request to take it down, they just have to here's the part that I think that got missed, decide that it's a valid request and then just take it down. Like they don't really try to negotiate or determine the the right, the correctness of that assertion, right? Yeah, so they sort of have to stay uh, like as a, uh, um, a, a disinterested third party, I guess. Um, and, and the reason is that uh, in order for them to have the safe harbor, uh, the safe harbor status sort of uh, frees them from the liability on either side if there is a copyright claim or if, if there's a lawsuit or something they they can just say okay well we, we're just hosting the content the law the law sort of allows them to to do that but in order to do that they sort of have to just if they get a dmca claim they have to just take it down and then if there's a counter notice issued then they can put it back up and the dmca has these uh um the the dmca sort of tells them that if they if they get a claim they have to sort of take it down expeditiously. And, and if there's a counter notice, they have to put it back up in 10 to 14 days. So it's, uh, it's, there's a lot of parts of the law that they, they sort of have to do. There's, there's some things I think that they could have done better. And there's also some things that they already do, which they don't have to do, which are, are nice, including they, they have a, a repo where they actually post every single DMCA notice that they've received um, going all the way back to 2011, actually. Interesting. Uh, so you, you can actually see all the all the DMCA notices that have been issued against GitHub repositories on that on that repo. That it's uh, GitHub.com/slash/github/slash/dmca. This portion of Talk Python to Me is brought to you by Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub. Starting a business is hard. By some estimates, over ninety percent of startups will go out of business in just their first year. With that in mind, Microsoft for Startups set out to understand what startups need to be successful and to create a digital platform to help them overcome those challenges. Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub was born. Founders Hub provides all founders at any stage with free resources to solve their startup challenges. The platform provides technology benefits, access to expert guidance and skilled resources, mentorship and networking connections, and much more. Unlike others in the industry, Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub doesn't require startups to be investor-backed or third-party validated to participate. Founders Hub is truly open to all. So what do you get if you join them? You speed up your development with free access to GitHub and Microsoft Cloud Computing Resources and the ability to unlock more credits over time. To help your startup innovate, Founders Hub is partnering with innovative companies like OpenAI, a global leader in AI research and development, to provide exclusive benefits and discounts. Through Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub, becoming a founder is no longer about who you know. You'll have access to their mentorship network, giving you a pool of hundreds of mentors across a range of disciplines and areas like idea validation, 
fundraising, management and coaching, sales and marketing, as well as specific technical stress points. You'll be able to book a one-on-one meeting with the mentors, many of whom are former founders themselves. Make your idea a reality today with the critical support you'll get from Founders Hub. To join the program, just visit talkpython.fm slash foundershub, all one word. The link's in your show notes. Thank you to Microsoft for supporting the show. I want to preface this by saying I'm not a lawyer, so... And neither are we. I'm only speculating here, but one of the things that seems very, very much like it fell through the cracks, and this part, I think, is both maliciousness and laziness on the Worth IT company, as well as, you know, sort of either laziness or disinterest, I guess, from GitHub. I don't really know how to characterize it. But this company came and said, on your documentations there is content that is copyright and it comes from our website and it just linked just to the homepage of that other website. You got to take it down. That seems like insufficient information to, or GitHub to go, yeah, well, they said there's a website and here's a website. That website doesn't like this one, so it should go away. It should say, do you see these lines of code here? That was stolen from us, and here's where it originates. Or, you know, we our thing is not public, but these are the lines. It didn't even say what was wrong, right? It just said, Yeah, we believe it, I mean, it was, it was insufficient them. even yeah. for us if, if it was an accurate claim. Because, yeah, if you look at this page that they uh, they put the claim on, it's it's a huge page, uh, because it's got like about a dozen different uh, functions on it. Um, and it just said that they copied our examples, it didn't say what which which part of the page was copied. Or anything, um, so yeah. It, the, I mean, I, I have, I still don't know, like, how they even decided that this was a thing that somehow their automation got flagged incorrectly or or something. I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't yeah. know if, if we're ever going to know that. Yep. All right. Well, I don't want to spend the whole time on this, but let let me round it up with uh, wrap it up with a quick thought. Uh, so the CEO of HackerRank, Vivek posted mm-hmm. a message that said, uh, this was not our intended consequence. Yes, but if you send bots running around the internet looking for um, algebraic equations and saying that those are, you know, like, this is a this is your problem, even if it was not your intent to do these things. And so they fixed it. I don't know what they're doing now, but they said we're going to stop the whole process for now and figure out what we can do better. But on the other hand, we should give them props for donating $25,000 to the Senpai project as a war sorry. That's that's actually kind of cool. They didn't have to do that. No, they did not have to do that. And um, and they did send the money, I think, last week. Uh, and so just... You guys are all on vacation? Like, what is this, Hawaii? I'm just teasing. Or <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, if the finest people are online, you can, um, you can find them up. I think it's open on the open collective and it pretty much almost doubled our, um, our budget. And so I, cool. it will allow us to really fund all kinds of cool development. One thing on this uh, note I wanted to say is that I was thinking, so when it all started, I thought, you know, this is, they, I felt like a little guy completely being crushed by some huge corporation or just this, you know, they, they, they just take down the documentation and GitHub just says, you know, it's not enough to put a commit to fix it. You have to excise the commit from the Git history. So. So we would have to figure out exactly what line was copied. And so I went to the Git history and tried to look up, well, maybe some of our contributors maybe copied some stuff from HackerRank. It's yeah. So I went to the history, but didn't see anything. Did not see any mention of HackerRank. You know, oh, I copied this from HackerRank. Didn't see anything like yeah. that. 
They didn't see anything suspicious, but the consequence was was dire. And also the, the documentation is generated from the SymPy source code. So really the the offending lines are coming from the SymPy repository itself, not just the documentation. So they were like all of SymPy. So luckily they missed it. <laughs> we were really, I was like, well, this might be the, this is terrible. Um, and and then they, oh, and also we thought maybe, maybe the, this looks like a spam, you know, maybe it's just a spam. So we kind of ignored it a little bit, not ignored it, but you know, we didn't know. And so I, I emailed GitHub right away. Is this real or is this just a spam? And they got back to us on Monday evening and say, no, this is real. And then the next morning they took down the whole documentation. So I felt really just, uh, you know, yeah, I, I spent, and Aaron and others spent so many hours just trying to figure out what we should do and what the options yeah. are. And I was, I, it was a uh, Google Summer of Code was, um, deadline was on that Tuesday, I think as well. So I was just super busy with that. I just felt, you know, this is, and I'm doing this for free for Simpy. I don't think I've ever paid by anybody to, to work on Simpy. I just felt, you know, this is, this is not right. And, I, and then when it got to Hacker News, I thought, you know, I thought about how can the company, what can they do to like fix it? And I thought, you know, it's not much they can do. The town was wasted. But then Travis got an idea, Olifant got an idea, well, why don't they donate uh, some money? And I thought, you know, this, this would fix it. And so I, and I didn't think they would do that, but I'm very happy that they did. Um, as far as I'm concerned, personally, I don't, I think we are even, they, they, they gave us the money and we can use it to really progress, um, uh, uh, the development forward. So, um, I'm very happy that how it all ended for Simpy. Sure. You could pay to hire somebody to work on a, some important part, or you could pay to have sprints, like bring the people together to work together or, or something like that. Right. Nice. Yeah. We're still, we're still talking about how, what we're going to do. Cool. Well, I'm glad it came out well, but uh, what a wild story. Huh? I've had I've had run-ins like this before, and they are incredibly frustrating. Even when you're on the right side of it, it's just like, you know, you're you're up against lawyers from. Yeah, you're on uh, you're on YouTube. Yeah. So I've heard that DMCA's can be pretty bad on YouTube. I don't know if that you've ever been hit by anything like that. There, I, you know, what's so funny is only once has it happened on YouTube. It's happened for my courses. Um, it's not exactly, it, it's happened sort of almost in reverse for my courses. I put one of my free courses on Udemy as a way to try to reach out to people who didn't already know about my content. Like, I'll put it up there for free. Um, people can experience it there and then maybe they'll go look for other courses for me, like, you know, something like that. Someone stole my free course, started selling it on Udemy and it took me two weeks to get them to to even take it down, even though at the beginning, it, it's a picture of me saying, hi, I'm Michael. And I'm they're like, you gotta, no, we don't believe this is yours. Like, what do you mean? Have you watched it? <laughs> the the person who, who is the account it's under is absolutely clearly not M Michael. Anyway, um, on YouTube, what has happened to me is I was doing a webcast way back in the day when people would call in sometimes on phones and somebody interrupted someone else on, uh, during the webcast and they put it on hold and it was really frustrating because their hold music started playing back into the webcast and for some reason the way it was set up by the company I was working with to do it they couldn't stop it so there was just like five minutes of hold music going along with the presentation that hold music got a DMCA takedown and it took down my webcast <laughs> so what are you going to do? I didn't really mind. It was the kind of a crappy thing anyway, but you know, it was up there and it got taken down. All right, let's talk about Senpai because I think this is a really neat project. Like I said, I'm when I think about the the data science stack and the scientific computing stack of Python, 
traditionally what I've thought of is NumPy, Pandas, Matplotlib, the stuff that does numerical processing and then maybe visualizes that or does machine learning off of it or something like that. Uh, but SimPy, I think, occupies a slightly different but really important space in this whole computational Python stuff. Tell us about it. Yeah, so uh, SimPy, like you said, uh, it, it sort of stands in contrast to these other libraries in that it's not, it's, uh, it is a mathematics library, but it's not, it's not numerical, it's symbolic. So uh, the focus is on um, computing with mathematical expressions exactly. So, uh, you know, if you, if you tell SimPy to, uh, like you said earlier, solve the equation x squared minus 2 equals 0, you'll get the exact answer, square root of 2 minus square root of 2. You won't get uh, a numerical answer like, uh, you know, 0 0.7, whatever square root of 2 is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, it, you'll, get that, you'll get that exactly, square root of 2. Um, and so uh, there's all sorts of things that you can do with symbolic mathematics. Um, People may be familiar with other uh, similar tools uh, called the, uh, it's basically, it's called the computer algebra system. Uh, uh, there's proprietary tools like uh, Maple and Mathematica. There are um, some other open source systems that people may have used as well, like uh, um, Sage and Maxima. Um, so just if you've ever heard of any of those, Simpy sort of occupies a similar space, but uh, uh, Simpy's, uh, I guess, sort of stands apart from those in that it's, it's open source and it's also, it's a Python library. So if you're familiar at all with Python, it's it's really easy to start using SimPy because it's just Python. Yeah, I think people who have not seen this kind of stuff in action should definitely go poke around and check it out. And we'll talk about some ways in which you can play with it just online with super low effort. I remember the first time I had been previously using MATLAB or something like that. And I saw Maple, which is what one of the ones you called out, which is a symbolic sort of solving thing. You can say, oh, here, I want to do the integral from negative infinity to positive infinity of this thing. And it looks like it would come out of the textbook. And it will sometimes even show you the steps. It's unbelievable. And that was 20 years ago when I saw it. I'm like, that's unbelievable that this computer is, is doing this. And SimPy is like that, but for Python, which is fantastic. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's basically, uh, you know, it's the math that you would learn in, in, uh, in a classroom. It's, uh, um, except it, you know, it, it can also get very advanced. Like you said, we, we can do uh, integrals. We have lots of uh, very advanced uh, mathematical features. We, we can do, uh, uh, we have a module for uh, doing uh, various uh, areas of physics, for example. Um, nice. And it's also the foundation of many other things as well. Uh, just as a, a like setting the stage, a preview is, You've got algebra, you've got calculus, you've got differential equations, you've got linear algebra and matrices. It's there's a lot of a lot of good stuff in here. Andre, do you want to maybe give us a little run through of like sort of the, the selling points of Senpai? Yeah, I can. That's very easy. I was an undergrad student, and you know, if you study physics or any kind of engineering, a lot of times, I, I, even math, you have to do a lot of symbolic, um, uh, you know, compute. Uh, I would say derivations on paper. And I remember sitting in a physics class and I thought, you know, this, I would like to do this from Python interactively. <laughs> uh, and so that's the idea. And then of course I, I sat down and I thought, well, let's get started. And my friends were telling me, you know what, you know, can I do Gaussian integrals? You know, it's this integral of exponential of uh, some polynomial, you know, X squared, for example. And I said, you know, it cannot because 
but it will uh, in five years, just not now. That's <laughs> <laughs> the hard problem. I didn't know. Oh, and I said, well, then it's Mathematica. <laughs> it could do it now. Um, but but uh, they asked me, well, why don't you use Mathematica? You know, and I said, you know, Mathematica is great. It's uh, Maple as well. It's absolutely, as you said, uh, Michael, absolutely amazing that you know, twenty years ago, and it could do all these integrals and and series expansion of these functions. And yeah, I was using Windows NT when I did that. That's yeah. how old that was. I did too. <laughs> uh, I did too, actually. Um, uh, and so, um, yeah. And and the, but but the motivation is um, to be able to do it from Python interactively allows you to kind of almost program with the symbolics using a language that's a pretty decent uh, language uh, that you might already use for something else. And so what I wanted to do is assign the expression to a variable, then use the variable interactively and write some scripts um, to, to kind of handle my, my calculation and maybe save it to a file after that and, and so on. And so that's once you want to program with that, Mathematica, it allows you to program, but you have to learn their, their language. And yeah. Python, I like Python more than the Mathematica language. And so that's why I wanted to have that in Python. Well, the other thing that... From this perspective, sitting on the Python or the comp sci side of things and looking back is obvious. I don't know that it is as obvious coming from the other perspective of like, oh, I'm doing a MATLAB.m file or whatever. But in that world, if you work in MATLAB or Mathematica, you can do what MATLAB or Mathematica does, <laughs> right? That's a, it's really amazing in its specialty, but it's very specialized and limited, right? You can't build like, you know, fast API and database-driven apps that are doing some of this kind of computation along the way, right? Uh, uh, if you move it to Python, like this is now, this capability is now accessible for all the applications, not just within, you know, the the MATLAB or Maple environment. Yeah, and I, I guess it's an argument, you know, what's the advantage of Python, let's say for numerical computing, let's use it by or scientific, let's say for scientific computing, but the advantage of Python over, let's say, Mathematica. And I think it's not a clear cut answer. I think Mathematica is great and they've done, actually, it's quite amazing how good job they've done because they designed the language, I believe, in the early 80s and they did not have to really modify the language too much wow. uh, in the same spirit. So that's kind of amazing. Uh, much, uh, it's much older than Python. So it's quite amazing how far and then it still works pretty well and it's a decent language. But I think what I like about Python for scientific computing, you know, is that it's open source and it's, the language just seems uh, more kind of robust <laughs> and kind of easier, more imperative, don't have to really learn too much. It seems that anybody can learn it quickly and doesn't seem to have too many kind of things that would surprise you. Yeah, very cool. So how long ago did you start on Senpai? I think I started in 2005 or six. Nice, it's been going for a while. Yes. Yeah. That that really predates a lot of the scientific computing frameworks that are well known today, right? So you, you must have felt good about picking a, the right horse as you saw, you know, Jupiter or IPython at the time come along and was, uh, libraries like that. You know, way before Jupiter, IPython was there. Um, somebody told me about it and I tested it out and I thought, you know, this is pretty cool. This looks like Mathematica. And then I later, when I talked to Fernando Perez, who wrote it, he said, yeah, it's Mathematica. That's what I wanted to have in Python. <laughs> so kind of the same motivation almost, uh, just, you know, so he kind of provided the foundation for the interactive part, you know, with the prompt and the numbers. Mm -hmm. This portion of Talk Pythonomy is brought to you by Sentry. How would you like to remove a little stress from your life? Do you worry that users may be encountering errors, slowdowns, or crashes with your app right now? Would you even know it until they sent you that support email? 
how much better would it be to have the error or performance details immediately sent to you, including the call stack and values of local variables and the active user recorded in the report? With Sentry, this is not only possible, it's simple. In fact, we use Sentry on all the TalkPython web properties. We've actually fixed a bug triggered by a user and had the upgrade ready to roll out as we got the support email. And that was a great email to write back. Hey, we already saw your error and have already rolled out the fix. Imagine their surprise. Surprise and delight your users. Create your Sentry account at talkpython.fm sentry. And if you sign up with the code talkpython, all one word, it's good for two free months of Sentry's business plan, which will give you up to 20 times as many monthly events as well as other features. Create better software, delight your users, and support the podcast. Visit talkpython.fm slash sentry and use the coupon code talkpython. When you work with Senpai, we'll see some examples and talk about them in a minute. You can put it into this like pretty printing mode where it, it attempts with as much as it can within the terminal output to have more formal mathematical representation. So instead of like E caret X, it might put a little smaller X up high and then an E down slightly to the lower left of it like you would try to write it. It seems that if it's in a notebook, it should be able to do even better, like maybe a LaTeX rendering or something really shiny. Yeah, it does. So does it, it do in, something in like the that? notebook, it, it'll use uh, the math jack. So it'll, it'll, yeah, it'll, it'll just, use, it'll look, it'll look great basically because the math jacks looks just like, uh, it's the same as, like as a, a LaTeX document. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, oh, man. That's but yeah, awesome. in the in the terminal, we use we use uh, we we use all these different Unicode characters to to sort of render it um, as two D text in the terminal, so that uh, yeah, it, it looks it looks pretty decent in the terminal considering the constraints of a terminal. Nice. Um, and I, I personally use it. I mainly use it in the terminal myself. Yeah. yeah. So let's go and maybe maybe we could walk through a little bit on one of the tutorials here. I mean, obviously, we don't want to talk too much code or whatever, but I do think maybe just touching on this uh, will give people a sense uh, of what it's like to work with this because. Yeah. So I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. Give it, give us a sense of what. In, of in the what tutorial, like. there's a, there's actually a section somewhere. Uh, where is that section? Mm, this um, one perhaps. But didn't get deleted. This, uh, it's in the introduction page. Yeah. It's on that page, but uh, if you maybe uh, scroll down, uh, to this, the power of symbolic computation is the name of the header. There you go. So this is just this is just sort of a a bucket list of uh, just sort of a a bunch of different examples of of things it can do. So just to give you an idea, and actually you can see there. Um, also, you can also see the uh, the pretty printing there as well. The Unicode pretty printing um, that it yeah. does. Um, yeah, that, so you that have to run is init underscore printing use Unicode equals true, right? It it doesn't do it by default. Uh, it, it, yeah. So the, in, in the notebook, it does actually do it by default. It, it, you sure, but not in the terminal or the rebel. Yeah. In the terminal, you need to, you need to run this. Otherwise it'll just print out like a one dimensional string that, that, uh, you would get, um, it would, it looks sort of like what you would input. Um, but yeah, you can see here, uh, we can, it can take derivatives, take integrals. Um, if you keep scrolling down, you can see, uh, I think limits and, uh, differential yeah. equations. Um, you can solve yeah, so let, let me let me talk uh, people through just a couple of things because I think it's a little hard to understand how this might work. And the trick, I think, really, Andre, you tell me your thoughts on this, is 
the uh, the ability for it to uh, define these symbols and these functions uh, here. Yeah, so the trick right. is to be able to represent the expression symbolically. So you type uh, x plus y plus some function sine x, and in, in memory it represents it as a tree, and it, and it pours the expression in symbolic form. And then it allows, it has all kinds of functionality that allows you to manipulate the expression, print it, um, you know, differentiate it. So when you differentiate, or let's say an expression that takes the original expression and creates a new expression, the, the derivative. Right. With normal math, like pen and paper math, you don't usually define variables. Every now and then you say, you know, let X be an element of like the real, L, uh, real number such that, whatever. But normally you just say F of X or F of T or something like that or Y. And it just works. You needed some way in Python to allow you to write expressions like x plus 2y without Python going, I have no idea what that means, right? Yes, that's right. So, and yes, you first have to declare what x and y is. You declare it as a symbol, and then you can use it. We overwrite the Python or operations like plus, minus, and that way you can construct the expression. And so what's nice about Python is that when I started with SimPy, when I was kind of investigating the, the, the idea, What's nice that Python pretty much allows you to override all these operations, and so you can write it almost like math. Uh, you an exponentiation, two stars. Yeah. The only caveat is that if you write, let's say, one divided by two, especially, and we started in Python two, that gives you uh, zero, I believe. And that's very confusing from Simpy's perspective because you would like it, you would like it to give uh, the expression one over two, not not zero, and because and so I, I don't think there is any way still to to, to fix that. Uh, to overwrite this, this division. At least in Python 3, you get the right At least you get float. Five, well, you get a five float, double precision float. Yeah. Number, and that's, yeah, yeah. you don't want that. You want one divided by two as simple expression. So so when you have something like that, you have to wrap the number one into an integer S. Yeah, or uh, define some kind of symbol with that value and then use it like, like you have to go to from, you know, um, quadratic equation, right? You could like that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so you create these symbols and then you can write simple math that looks like it's just straight Python. So you could say X and Y are symbols. And then you could say something like X plus two times Y plus one. And that, that isn't not evaluated in any way. It's, it just becomes this, like, as you said, as tree, this expression that then you can operate on, like integrate it, take the derivative of it, find the limit of it, all those kinds of things. Right? Yes. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, that's the basic idea, um, and and you can use it to uh, do any, basically any sort of math that you would normally do uh, with with so that sort of expression, um, except you're doing it on the computer. Instead so of doing cool. It on paper. You can do you know just like a real simple example might be um, rational polynomials or something like that. Like if you had x squared minus one as one equation, and then x plus one as another equation. You could say the first equation divided by the second and get, oh geez, which did I say minus? You get x minus one as the Yeah, result, so sim simplification right? is another one where you, you can take something and, and it'll, it can figure out how to simplify it to a, an equivalent form that's like, uh, like dividing out factors and things like that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, these are, are super neat. Um, you can do factors. So like you say, you could say like uh, polynomial factors. You know, one of the things, I don't know if I should point this out, or maybe this should have been a warning to the whole show. If you're in high school or early college, <laughs> this might be a terrible cheat sheet for homework and other types of 
I mean, it's fantastic, right? If, if you're in an algebra course, you can do do your work and then you could type this in and go, did I get it right? Wham, and out it comes, especially in a notebook, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of unavoidable <laughs> these days, uh, you know, there's, cause I mean, there's, there's also, you know, just graphing calculators yeah. that do this There's Wolfram Alpha. I think SymPy is a great, a great way to do that if you're gonna do it because now you're also learning Python. Um, right. which I think is would be great for uh, someone who's like a high school student or uh, an undergraduate because that that's an actual useful skill as well. <laughs> it might be even more uh, utilitarian in, in the long run than the calculus they're learning. Um, so, yeah, you can do like uh, derivatives and integrals of these equations. So you could say integrate e to the x times sine of x plus e to the x times cosine of x, and it will give you... The result, which apparently is e to the x sine of x, I used to be able to do that. I can't anymore. Well, you can see that the line above it, it's differentiating that, so it's just undoing the line above it. Oh, so I see. Well, that that does that is a bit of a cheat, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean that that's yeah. You, you don't that it, the integration is nice because you don't have to remember all the these how to do all this integration by parts or whatever you. Would yeah, do yeah do exactly. That. So uh, another thing it can do is. Um, like concrete, I forgot. There's like a better term for that, but Definitely. integration over a range, or or so. So you could say integrate from like negative ten to twenty of sine of x squared. Or here's an example of negative infinity to positive infinity, and it says that square root of two, you know, radical two radical pi over two as the answer, not like point. What is that? Point two point. something 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 yeah. something something. I don't know, <laughs> something like that. Um, right, it gives you the actual theoretical answer, the exact mathematical answer in symbols, which mm-hmm. is amazing. It is. It's amazing, and it's also not easy to. So when I started in Simply, I knew this is not easy to program. Like, how how do you program such an integrator? It's not easy. But I figured, you know, if I can at least figure, at least get the basics, you know, like be able to represent these equations at least, that would still be a huge help. Because sometimes the expression can be long and be able to manipulate it. And then, as we were joined with, you know. So many uh, excellent people. They they contributed all the all the feature students. Mostly actually it was developed by a Google Summer of Code students. And okay, they, that's cool. It's it's um, it it it. I would not be able to do that. Let's, let's just put it that way. It's it's a lot of work that's behind it. Yeah, I'm looking at this. I, I know these concepts just on pure math are hard, and then to automate it in general, it's got to be next level. Uh, so other things you can do is like you can define a function. So here you say, here's a function called y. And then you can say, well, what if you had the differential equation that was, you know, the second derivative of y minus y equals e to the t, All right? Solve that. And then sure enough, um, out comes the solution for that, um, what the function is, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, so uh, does things like uh, eigenvalues for... Um, Linear algebra and all kinds of stuff. Uh, yeah, great. And then we have in Python, we have stir and repr. You guys also have LaTeX, <laughs> which is pretty cool, right? I just call LaTeX, uh, LaTeX on a function, and out it comes with like the crazy escape code LaTeX that you would need for a paper or something, right? Yep. Yeah, and this, this actually, I mean, this is only even scratching the surface of, of the, what Simpy can do. So, uh, it, it's actually quite a large library. Yeah. 
I don't want to focus too much on just the pure math, but maybe give us a sense of like some of the things that amaze you. What do you have in mind when you're saying that kind of stuff? Uh, that amaze me? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I think the whole thing's amazing still, even though I know how it works and I've been working on it for a while. But yeah, just the fact that the computer can do uh, the same sort of mathematics that you would do uh, on a piece of paper is, is incredible. Um, some of the algorithms that to do like integration and stuff are also uh, pretty interesting because uh, they, they sort of, they go beyond what you would learn in a calculus class. Um, they're, they're algorithms that, that can compute integrals that you would, you would never be able to know how to compute them just using what you'd learn in a, in a calc one or a calc two. Sure. Um, but those, those are something that you can actually implement in something like SymPy, and then uh, SymPy will be able to do those integrals for you. Um, some of the features that, uh, I mean, if you go on the website, there's a, there's a huge list of features. Um, I think uh, one feature that we didn't mention that's, that's maybe worth mentioning um, is uh, code generation. So uh, code generation um, means that you take one of these expressions and you turn it into basically code for another language, whether that's C or Fortran or uh, pretty much any, any language that, that you would want to uh, translate it into. And then you can then take that expression and, and uh, basically convert it into uh, something that you could numerically evaluate uh, very fast in, in whatever language you prefer to use. Wow, okay. So you've got your notebook written in Python or something, and you've come up with some expressions, and you're like, I would like to just do that in Fortran or C, and and I don't trust myself to get it right, so just mm-hmm. print yeah. out the syntax, basically? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Andre. Yeah, well, let's say you want to approximate some function uh, you know, with a polynomial, so you, you can use SymPy to do that, and then at the end, you just want the polynomial in the form that you can put in your production code, whether Fortran or C. So yeah. just tell SymPy to do it, then you can copy and paste it, and you know it's correct, assuming there is no bug in SymPy. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, spe- I suspect it's probably pretty straightforward once you've got the expression to break it down into, you know, this is a multiply, here's where the parentheses that group it in the expression tree, but yeah, there's, practice, I mean, there's, not simple. there's a few places where it's like, okay, we need to make sure we get the semantics. The semantics might be a little different between like C and, and uh, Python or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So we need to make sure we sort of translate that correctly, but yeah, it's, I mean, in principle, it's not that hard, but uh, I mean, it's also not something you want to do by hand either because yeah. uh, it's super yeah. error prone if you were to try to do it by prone. hand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like a great feature. That's that's quite neat. Maybe we could talk just a little bit internally, Andre, about how you accomplish this. Yeah, like how I started it. Well, just like how does it work? If I give it a, if I give it a an expression of you know e to the x cosine x, and I say integrate that, like where do you even start? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, the integration, I guess, I don't know, more details. There's like a couple of different algorithms, but I'll tell you kind of the, the basic idea. Uh, when I did, you know, the first thing you do, you search, how do you do symbolic integration? And there, there is this famous algorithm called Rish, I think, algorithm. So you kind of start studying it, and then you realize, oh, that's like multiple years of worth of work to implement it. <laughs> and it's kind of fragile and doesn't always work. And Mathematica, they, they as the company, Wolfram, uh, they, they managed to do that. 
That's a lot of effort, a lot of work. And he has to invest in a large teams of people, test it carefully and so on. But it um, turns out that in practice, um, there are other approaches. Um, and it turns out that you can integrate a lot, lot, you know, wide classes of uh, functions just by implementing an algorithm that works. For example, for a polynomial, it's easy. Anybody, anybody yeah, yeah, yeah. do it, right? And then you can add some trigonometric functions. So you kind of implement the algorithm for that. Then you kind of build your way up. It turns out when you do that, uh, you can make it very useful in practice. Maybe it's not as um, powerful as Mathematica is, but it's uh, very helpful. So that's how we started. And then okay. um, yeah, it, once you have the rules, I mean, first, second, third year of calculus, there's in math, I, there is a ton of creativity. In the calculus classes, it's a lot of like, I just today we're doing integration by parts. Today we're doing like, integration of stuff that's divided or what you know like there's a there's set algorithms that they tell you to follow and once you get the basics it seems like i guess you could compose them yeah so that was kind of my initial idea let's just kind of do stuff that we know how to do <laughs> and it's kind of straightforward yeah. uh, but but then and kind of the engineering part comes to it as well because you don't want you want things to always work quickly and if it cannot be done you would like to know the answer this cannot be done quickly, not to wait you know, a couple hours until it tries all the yeah. functions. And so then it just becomes a lot of, um, not kind of, in, I would say engineering decisions, how to make this all work. And I think we are still not done yet. I think th th there are a couple, I would say promising approaches. One approach is uh, a certain professor, and I think a retired professor, I think in, in Canada, he has, he, he figured out how to um, take all these rules, how to integrate functions and compose them into just a decision tree. So you give it an expression and then it just figures out exactly as you said, is it the polynomial? Is it like dividing and so on? And it, and it, and then the decision tree tells it exactly how to go about it to give you the final formula, the integral. Okay. Yeah, like, here's the small formula yeah. you apply to it or whatever. So you take okay. these 5,000 formulas and then it and then takes them and go, actually he uses Mathematica and he composes those into a decision tree. And then it prints the decision tree as, as, for example, Python code and so on. And we still haven't, well, actually, so we have a module for that. And it's something that what I like about this approach is that it's quick. In principle, it's quick. You just go through the decision tree and it either gives you a formula or it says it cannot be done. Um, and I would like, but you know, it, there are all kinds of practical issues. The tree is pretty yeah. big. And so when you encode it in Python, it takes forever to import and so on. So we are still kind of struggling with these issues, but. It just gives you an idea of what kind of issues are engineering. I would say issues are involved in. Yeah, something like this. That's pretty well. Do you, I mean, have you thought of uh, or are you using things like Cython or other these other types of speed up type things? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I spent so maybe ten years ago. I spent a lot of time investigating how to make SymPy faster. SymPy is great. It's in pure Python. It's easy to contribute to, and for many things, it, it's amazing. Just works, and that's all you need. But sometimes uh, you need either larger calculation or a lot of calculations. And it's not fast enough. So how to speed it up? So uh, we investigated just pure C, Cython, um, all kinds of tricks in Python itself to speed it up. Eventually, um, that kind of led to the Sim Engine project. I decided, let's just use C++. It's the only tool that I know that actually can deliver the performance and kind of ma maintaining a bigger project. And uh, so that's that's Sim Engine, and then we have Python wrappers, and then SimPy can use it. Uh, so there's, there are modules in SimPy, such as the dynamic, uh, kind of uh, dynamic, uh, what can I say, the classical uh, mechanical, I guess, module that allows you to simulate a solid body, you know, physics. Um, it, it's able to use SimEngine under the hood, so it gets much, much faster.
Okay, interesting. Yeah, so this has this is a C plus plus project, but it has Python wrappers for easy Python integration with SymPy and other things. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I, you know, that I think that kind of summarizes a lot of scientific Python. Is there's a really great API, and when you ask it to do things, it takes the data and hands it off to some C layer that actually does it mm-hmm. or Rust or something like that, right? Yes. And it's not it's not just writing it in C plus uh, plus. There are other libraries um, uh, that also in C plus plus. But to make it really fast, one has to spend the time and figure out how to represent the expression in memory, how to allocate the memory. Uh, so uh, how to so we have to make you know reference counter pointers, for example. So that's what that's the design I chose. Mm-hmm. How to make the reference counter pointer as fast as possible, things like that. How to make sure that uh, you can actually maintain it so that it gives you. If you make a mistake, it doesn't give you a sick fault, but some kind of a in debug mode, some kind of ways to debug it, right? So it's all kinds of engineering, you know, decision behind it. I asked it to solve this, and it just went poof and went away. I guess that something means something. I don't know. Yep. So we don't want one. So, but anyway, but yes. So the symmetry works. Uh, it's it it contains kind of like the core level of the core of SymPy. So is this what I would, if I go pip install SymPy, do I get this or do I have to do something special to like swap out the computation engine with this? You have to install it as a separate library. So if you do just pip install SymPy, by default it only installs uh, SymPy, but uh, but you can do pip, in, I think you can do pip install SymEngine. I use Coda, so you can do Coda install SymEngine. That installs SymEngine as a, as a library and in Python you do import SymEngine and then you use it kind of like SymPy. And Simbi can also optionally use it uh, kind of on the build. Okay. Yeah, this looks really neat. Uh, one of the things I wanted to touch on here, and at the top right of the page, if I go just to the Simpy page, it says, try it with Simpy Gamma. And so maybe we could sort of close out the, the conversation a bit with just poking around with this and then maybe highlighting some projects that use it. So for example, it says, oh, you could just try some random example and it's got like algebra, uh, algebraic things I could do. So it says, you know, polynomial divisor. I come in here and copy this. And if I go, there's a little calculator-like thing at the top where I go hit equals, and it will go and run that in... Um, polynomial division in this case, it looks like. Yeah, yeah. Like what are the divisors of, of this thing, right? Something like that. Yeah, um, so this is sort of our, our little version of, uh, of Wolfram Alpha, but using SymPy under the hood. Um, it's not quite as powerful as Wolfram Alpha. We don't support like uh, natural language input, um, that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, you can you can kind of get an idea of the sorts of things Simpy can do here. Uh, maybe one of the interesting ones, if you scroll down a little bit okay. uh, and click on one of the uh, integral, the one that says get steps for integrals. Yeah, how about um, this? I I'm a big fan of uh, E. There's a whole book called E: The Story of a Number. I, have you guys read it? Uh, no, I haven't heard of it. You haven't? E, e the story of number, is a great book. It's about like Euler and all that stuff. Okay. Yeah. So if this so, one says so integrate e to the x over one plus e to the two x, right? Yeah. So if you scroll down here, um, hopefully uh, you should see something that says uh, C steps. All right. Uh, yeah. I see under the derivative, for example. Yeah. That was pretty interesting. I don't know if this is the one that has steps, okay. but I saw it in other places. Um, yeah, maybe that's maybe this example is not working right now. Yeah, yeah. There's some here. Let's do um, probably the differentiation of something might be. I bet it's got some steps for that. But that was part of what I was talking about with the cheat, <laughs> and not, and I don't mean that in a negative way. But like, it will yeah. show you the steps 
as if it was written out in a textbook uh, of, of how, like this one right here. Like, look at this. You're going to apply the quotient rule, which is dx of f of x over g of x equals this, and then you're going to apply this. And I mean, this is amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think uh, I think it's uh, you know it's instructive. It's not it's not it just and, cheating. <laughs> no, of course it's not. And I do think it's really instructive because it's one thing to just go take. Uh, a function or an expression and say, take the derivative of this. And it says, great, it's this crazy thing. Like, how was I supposed to know it was like the tan of the cotangent of X or like something like that, right? Um, but if it says, you know, like, look, here's how we got there. That's, yeah, that's very educational. Yeah, so it's not, uh, this, this, many parts of SymPy don't work like this because uh, sort of the underlying algorithms don't, don't really work the same way that you would do it by hand, but mm -hmm. there are some that basically work the same way you would do it by hand, uh, like differentiation as an example. So we can we can sort of extract those steps and, and show them to you. Yeah, this is great. I'll put this this explanation example into the show notes so people can uh, come back and, and check it out. But gamma.senpai.org and then just choose some of the examples is really how to do it. It's how it gets there. So very nice. So let's let's wrap this up by going to simpy.org and then on simpy.org if you go just down a little bit there's projects using simpy that are they all sound super interesting to me you've got like chempy a package for chemistry in python einstein pi for symbolic and uh, for general relativity are there any of these that you think are particular neat or stand out to you you want to give a shout out to either of you Oh yeah, I all of them. <laughs> but I like the pie die, for example. It's uh, it's a very nice package for you can can pie, pie dies in pie dynamics. Yeah, you know? so you can um, it allows you to simulate. You create kind of like a robot or multiple, you know, pendulum like double pendulum. You just kind of tell it exactly the relations of the body, and then it allows you to write. And then pie die can derive equations of motion, and those equations get get extremely complicated real quick uh, for for. Wow. Try triple pendulum, which just gets very complicated. Why I can derive the equations for you uh, correctly, <laughs> and so uh, it, it's it's a really neat project. Yeah, that one's really cool. So you can the see. the chempy kind of stands out for me because I've I've always loved chemistry. Yeah, any others that you want to give a shout out to? Um, well, I guess one one that I'll mention here actually that's listed is uh, Sage. So Sage, yeah, uh, Sage is something that a lot of people might know as sort of an, an alternative uh, computer algebra system. Yeah, I've actually uh, had uh, William Stein on the show to talk about it as well from uh, Sage Math and uh, yeah. So Sage Sage sort of integrates a lot of libraries, including SymPy itself. You can see SymPy is listed there on the on the front page of their website. Yeah. Uh, so uh, if you use Sage, there's there's a chance that you're actually just using SymPy under the hood. Uh, so that uh, yeah, it's um, that's nice. that's one that I like. Um, a lot of these are, are are making use of that the code generation um, concept that I talked about, where they're they're basically sort of modeling whatever chemistry or, or dynamics in, in SymPy, and then then taking that expression and, and turning it into something that they can numerically evaluate. Yeah, it looks like maybe some quantum computing stuff here. All right, great. Now these are all all cool, and I think probably seeing some uses of it. I give people ideas for their own projects. Let's wrap this up, this uh, conversation up, just um, to talk about maybe bridging the gap or bridging the world of computational stuff 
symbolic stuff and then uh, this numerical side, right? So I've gone through and I've said, here's some complex function and maybe here's another one and I'm gonna combine them through whatever in some, some way and then now generate me a second derivative or whatever it is I need or integrate it. I've now got a new expression. Can I somehow take that and turn it into something I can call as a Python function? Like here's a number, what's the answer effectively? Or here's a NumPy array, give me the evaluation across the NumPy array? Yeah, so there's there's a function called lambdify. Uh, it's L-A-M-B-D-A-F-Y, um, which basically does exactly what you said. It takes an expression and it turns it into a function that you can evaluate with NumPy. Um, so uh, yeah, the, the workflow is basically exactly what you described. You, you use SymPy, derive, whatever it is you're doing using the mathematics of, of your problem. And then you, you put that inside of Lambdafy and now you have something that you can actually pass uh, your data to with NumPy um, and uh, evaluate it numerically. Nice, that's awesome. Does it effectively use that, that code generation thing you were talking about? Yeah, so under the hood, it's, it's, using, it's basically generating code for Target NumPy. Language equals- Okay, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you can think of NumPy as, itself as sort of a language. It's got its own set of functions. Um, and Right, uh, right. Instead of looping, you you do sort of vector operations and things like that, which you'd want it to do that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are other functions which you can do to, to um, instead of calling NumPy, if you want to, like, call it through C as well, you, there, mm-hmm. there's options for that as well. Um, yeah, that, that lambdify is sort of the, the big one that, that you need to know if you want to do that. Okay, because to me that seems like a really important bridge. You know, I've got this idea, I, here's my theoretical equations, but at some point I want to evaluate it and make, make the computer you know, generate a, a graph based on these numbers or something, right? Yeah, cool. definitely. Cool, well, good work on this project, you guys. It, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> and, and the explanation uh, thing, Aaron, you had me pull out, that's really cool. How much it will say, these are the algorithms we applied, and, and here's the little lesson to take from uh, like why this makes sense here and so on. That, that's way better than just some sort of numerical integral. Like, you gave me this function, and no, no, it's 7.2 is the answer. Like, well, great, but what do I do with that, right? Yeah. Yeah, so maybe pe- people could use it as a teaching tool. Assuming, yeah, there are people uh, who use it in the classrooms, definitely. Sure. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, before we're done, let me ask you both the final two questions briefly. If you've got some kind of notable package, maybe it's not the most popular thing, but you know some Python package that's awesome that needs a a shout out. Probably a lot on this page already, and you've already given some. But anything you want to just call out real quick? Um. Well. Uh. So. Perhaps unrelated to SimPy uh, a little bit, but yeah, uh, it can be unrelated. Anything, yeah. Um, well, I I I'd have to say one of my favorite packages that I I use um, is this testing library called Hypothesis. Mm, um, yeah, I'd actually like to to make use of it in SimPy. We aren't using it right now, but um, I'd like to. But uh, if you haven't used it before, the the idea it's it sort of it sort of flips the the idea of, of how you do tests on its head a little bit. Um, instead of instead of sort of coming up with a bunch of examples and sort of testing that they your function you know does the right thing on on the on different inputs, 
you just sort of tell it what your function should do, and then it takes care of the job of of generating examples. And the end result is that you you end up testing a lot more of your code than you would with a normal test, and you get uh, you end up with much more robust code as a result. So awesome. I, I recommend checking it out. It's called Hypothesis. I don't know if you've had Hypothesis on this podcast. I have. It's been quite a while. It's been three or four years at least. But yeah, it's it's a very neat project, and I'm glad to see it's still going strong. I hear a lot about it. Andre? Oh, so I was actually, do you want a Python package or any package? Uh, Python, if you got yeah. one. If not, we can fall back to any. Uh, yeah, I was going to actually Hypothesis also. I also discovered it kind of actually relatively recently. <laughs> um um, yeah, I, I recommend uh, people to check it out. Which one? Sorry. Oh, uh, the hypothesis. Oh, yeah. Uh huh. Sure. And I did talk about it way back in the day. This is 2016. Had uh, David McIver on to talk about it. So that was cool. All right. And then, final question if you're going to write some code, some Python code, uh, what editor do you use? I use Emacs. Emacs, right on. And I use Vim. <laughs> oh, and you guys still get along? <laughs> yeah, of course. No, just teasing. That's awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much for being here. You know, final call to action. People are excited to get started with SimPy. Like, what do they do? How do they get started? Where do they go? Uh, well, so it, it, the easiest way is uh, if you go to simpy.org. Uh, like you, like uh, you said, you can try it online. Uh, there's also a link there to uh, to download it. Um, yeah. Otherwise, uh, you know, I would say, uh, you know, you can if you really want to get dive in, you can uh, join our mailing list, uh, or uh, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Simpy, and um, yeah, it, 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 the basically the easiest way to get it is to just pip install Simpy or condo install Simpy, and you'll have it. Nice, Andre. Yeah, it's uh, Simpy.org or Simengine.org. You can like you like the C plus plus version. Nice. And you have the tutorials that I highlighted. I'll link in the show notes so that you can go through on senpai.org as well. Fantastic. Well, really nice work. I'd love to see you bringing this to all the developers and data scientists and stuff. So thanks for being here and sharing Senpai. Well, thank you for having us. You bet. Yeah, thank Bye. you so much. This has been another episode of Talk Python to Me. Thank you to our sponsors. Be sure to check out what they're offering. It really helps support the show. Starting a business is hard. Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub provides all founders at any stage with free resources and connections to solve startup challenges. Apply for free today at talkpython.fm slash foundershub. Take some stress out of your life. Get notified immediately about errors and performance issues in your web or mobile applications with Sentry. Just visit talkpython.fm slash Sentry and get started for free. And be sure to use the promo code TALKPYTHON, all one word. Want to level up your Python? We have one of the largest catalogs of Python video courses over at TalkPython. Our content ranges from true beginners to deeply advanced topics like memory and async. And best of all, there's not a subscription in sight. Check it out for yourself at training.talkpython.fm. Be sure to subscribe to the show, open your favorite podcast app, and search for Python. We should be right at the top. You can also find the iTunes feed at slash iTunes, the Google Play feed at slash play, and the direct RSS feed at slash RSS on talkpython.fm. We're live streaming most of our recordings these days. If you want to be part of the show and have your comments featured on the air, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at talkpython.fm slash YouTube. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Now get out there and write some Python code.